0: Hello, and welcome to Tell Me What's Good, episode five. Jeff, we made it to five episodes. Sorry, I'm James Clark, and I'm here, as always, with my colleague Jeff Bork. Jeff, you're looking particularly beardy today.
1: I'm trying to save money on the heating, quite honestly. I've turned it to my dad. Don't touch that thermostat.
0: Yeah, well, I've just got into uh, into Schitt's Creek, uh, just finished, or oh, halfway through season two. I'm wondering whether you're trying to style yourself on mud,
1: I did, you know, it did cross my mind, and if you know the beard of which you were talking about, I can safely say that mine is nowhere near as spectacular as much beard.
0: It's not. I think we we might have to stick some kind of side-by-side comparison on our social media, which, by the way, listeners, is, as always, at Tell Me What's Good UK on Insta, at Tell Me What's G on Twitter, and if you want to get in touch via email, if you don't do the social... We're telling what's good UK at gmail.com Jeff an exciting week uh, or a t- couple of weeks ahead I know I'm excited for a few things coming up you
1: Yeah I think uh, well we we're going to talk about it in the news section but there's a certain a PS and a five to use some uh, use some letters and numbers to indicate what is going to be truly exciting in the coming weeks.
0: Yeah uh, let's not spoil the surprise we'll get there by the end of the episode.
1: I don't think anyone cracked the code James.
0: No, I, th- I think I think we kept it secret. They should have had, had you at Bletchley Park.
1: I uh, yeah I am uh, good with flowers so yeah.
0: Okay um, <laughs> anyway before we get started um, I think most people around the world will have heard by now of the sad news last week of the passing of Sir Sean Connery age 90 from we're told dementia related illness. For both Jeff and I Sean was a big figure for us in movies grown up and not just as James Bond. Whilst Connery retired from acting in 2003 after the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, which I think is another film, Jeff, that we probably just have to pretend never existed. It's a growing list. Um, he'll still loom large in any list of mine of favourite actors, uh, whilst a, which I put down basically just to the sheer quantity of incredible roles that he's given us. With that in mind, We thought we'd open this week's podcast uh, in tribute to Sir Sean, listing our top three roles of his throughout his career. Um, Before we start our top three, Jeff, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, it's um, a terrible shame to lose him. Ninety is a very good age. He is one of the very few actors who I think you can say is truly iconic. For me, Bond was probably the first movie character I was aware of that didn't come from Saturday morning TV. And I don't know, I just feel like he's been around forever. I think it's partly because he, either, he had two stages in his career. He either looked like Bond or he looked like the guy that used to be Bond. And he always just looked kind of like that older guy who you knew used to kick ass when he was younger. Um, but yeah, we haven't seen him for a very long time. So it's um, it feels like he never went away, though.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um... I think from us, before we get cracking, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Sean, for the wonderful films and memories, and you will be missed. So anyway, Jeff, our top three Sean Connery rules. What's number three on your list?
1: My number three is Marco Ramos in the 1990s movie, The Hunt for the Red October. Connery played a Soviet captain of a submarine that is undetectable on sonar means it's a very good submarine um, and quite, uh, yeah, and heads for America to either defect or he's pretending to defect uh, and wants to start a war. It's based on a Tom Clancy novel and it's a very classic, the Russians are bad drama by the guy who did Die Hard and I say that with a terrible accent because this is on my list because it is the epitome of Sean Connery not caring about an accent. He starts, he does a little bit of Russian at the very start and then they just segue into, yeah, we're just going to talk English. <laughs> um, and really, Sean Connery is one of, I mean, you can list him on your hand, the amount of people, everyone has done a Sean Connery impression at some point. And you kind of wonder how much he, he actually cared. I don't think he really did. I think he just did his own thing. And, um, yeah, I think if you if you want to have a, a film that epitomizes that complete disregard to to the idea of dialogue coaching, it is Hunt for the Red October. Very much a, a Cold War classic as well. Um, he's one of these captains who, again, it's the classic, this guy clearly can still kick ass even though he's a bit older at this point in his career. So, yeah, that accent disregarding captain ramus is my number
0: three great it's a great pick it's a great film uh that idea of not not caring at all about trying to do an accent is um is just sean connery to a t i believe he had two tattoos and one of them said forever scotland or scotland forever one or the other and i think that just sums him up perfectly it's a great pick i love the hunt for red october one of the first appearances on on screen for jack ryan i think as well played by alec baldwin it was, um,
1: yeah. yeah. Sam Neill in it. Uh, Tim Curry yeah. was in it. Good cast.
0: Yeah, great cast. It's a good pick. Uh, I guess I need to start my list by saying that I found this such a difficult, such a hard choice, not just because of the number of incredible roles I could have had in my list, but also when I eventually settled on my top three, putting them in order, I found incredibly hard as well. And number three for me is Sean's role as King Arthur in First Night. Nice. This might not be to everyone's liking. And there are certainly more celebrated films of his to choose from. But I love First Night. And it's not because of G- uh, Gene Triplehorn or Richard Gere or even Ben Cross, although he's great. Um, it's because Sean Connery just is King Arthur for me. If I think of King Arthur on screen, yeah. I think of Sean. I don't, I don't think of Clive Owen. I think of Sean Connery. <laughs> um, like, like he's just, it's a bit like how, for me, he'll always be Richard the Lionheart or he'll always be Robin Hood as he got old. That's just Sean Connery. Um, he exudes grace, love, jealousy, fury, anger. He has a wide range of emotion in this film, as he initially marries the much younger Guinevere, then loses her um, to his project kind of Sir Lancelot. You know, we've all we we would all pretty much we've be sure we'd all lose a wife to to Richard Gere at some point. I'm sure we can't blame him for that. Um, eventually, he fights to to rescue her from Maligant, who's the evil bad guy Ben Cross. At the end of the film, he's just you know. In this movie, Sean Connery was old. He would have been, like, I guess, late 60s, and yet he still you know, has sword fights and wields a sword and rides mm. a hawk. He's absolutely nailing it. Um, it's an underrated movie, and it's a seriously underrated performance from Sean Connery, um, where he easily outshines the lead actors in every scene that they're all in. If you haven't seen it, and I don't think lots of people have, mm. watch it now. It's on Netflix.
1: It's a, It's a really good example of where he's a bit more subdued in his roles but he yep. still has that tremendous power and like say grace to him um it's funny actually i was i was considering putting in uh, his role as king richard the in prince of thieves in my top three even though he is in the film for about 90 seconds but i can remember the reaction of the audience when he came on the whole place just went oh my god it's sean connery and just yep. like yeah of course he's the king of course he's the king going to just go yeah i'll i'll allow the wedding robin hood just crack on Um. so yeah very much made for these roles as a king
0: regal a regal nature
1: so i'll go with into my number two then and that is the role he played as jim malone in the untouchables I mean, what film this is? Um, I actually re-watched it this week, just to remind myself. Um, it is about, well, Connery is Malone, who is basically a good cop, who joins Kevin Costner's Elliot Ness, who is a federal agent, who's trying to bring down Robert De Niro's Al Capone in Chicago during the Prohibition era. Very much good guys against bad. Um, one of Connery's best films, and... It's really the, the the motivation, no, the energy of the film, sorry, really comes from him. He's the core. He's very much the moral heart of it. And this is actually the film, the only film that he won an Oscar for, where he won supporting actor. And he's just got such energy that you're willing them to not do it because Capone, excellently played by uh, Robert De Niro, is, you know, clearly not a good guy. But you just want Connery to, to, to win. You want him to live. And he just plays it straight down the line, and he's got so many quotes. Things like, he puts one of yours in the hospital. You put one of his in the morgue. I mean, that's one of these proper. Yeah, it's it's cinema history in the making there. Uh, so it's the epitome of that. Like I say that second part of his career when he was older. This was um, late late eighties. So still, you know, still quite a big, powerful guy but moving into this kind of mentoring role alongside Kevin Costner, who became the leading man at this point.
0: Yeah, it's an awesome movie. You're right, it's an awesome role. I think, you know, obviously based on on a true story, um, I think Jim yeah. Malone's character he kind of, he, he drives Elliot Ness, who's obviously the lead, um, to turn from, like, nice guy, buy-the-book federal agent to just getting the job done. You're totally right. He drives, he's the emotional heart of that film. A well deserved Oscar. Uh, you know, I might we might have some honorable honourable mentions at the end where he could have won Oscars for some of those other performances as well. But you're right, Jeff. It's a great pick. It should have been on my list and it wasn't. But yeah, I'm glad you got it on yours. And I'm gonna be controversial because it's second place on my list to be argued with with every listener going is Sean Connery's best known role, James Bond. Second place on my list. I'll explain why when I get to number one. Connery is the best Bond by far and I won't argue with anyone who disagrees with me because they're clearly an imbecile who doesn't like cinema. Connery came in the role of Bond as a former Mr Universe contestant and first starred as the spy as uh, in Dr. No in 1962 hmm. 58, 58 years ago. And to be honest, he doesn't look much old he didn't look much older this year. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, he went on to embody the spy in six more films like we all know. You know, we all know from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, Diamonds Are Forever, and eventually Never Say Never Again after a bit of a hiatus, contractual hiatus. Hmm. Um, Whilst these might not be amongst anybody's favourite Bond movies, they are in mine. Uh, And he absolutely embodies that role, marrying charm, sophistication and good looks with threat, physical presence and a seriousness that hasn't really been seen in the role since until daniel craig he is everything the bond from from fleming's books is and more yeah i'm a huge fan of the books and he just embodies that character and he will always be the actor that audiences think of when they think of james bond that's why he is on my list
1: i see i'm 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 curious to see why he is number two but you are absolutely right he is bond um i mean dr no you just need to watch the start of it it's it's him He's in a tuxedo. He's in a casino, uh, lighting a posh cigarette. And someone says, "What's your name?" And he goes, "Bond, James Bond." And then the theme starts, and it's just yeah. No wonder it's launched this huge franchise. It's the all the tropes of Bond girls, of the ridiculous buddies, of the amazing locations, and of course the action. Which you know, he's he was a big guy. He was six foot two, which is big for a film star. And uh, yeah, he just. It's it, it is no surprise that Bond captured the imagination, um, given the performance he put in. And certainly, in that first film, I think Goldfinger was probably one of his best ones. I think later ones were done, maybe just needed the money a little bit more later on. And you know, he, 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 last time he did it, I think he was about 51. Yeah. And you can argue maybe that was a bit too old, um, or maybe maybe not. That's not fair. I think that the peak was so obvious. At the start of it, that I think anything that late on was always going to be hard to compare to, but uh, yeah, just absolutely one of the most iconic characters in world cinema, and yet you're number two, James, which is very concerning.
0: I'm assuming he's going to be number one on your list, Jeff.
1: Well, he's funny you should say that; he's not, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> mind blowing.
1: I thought you were going to have it number one, so I thought, well, let's mix it up a bit. But no, my number one is his effort as uh, Sir Henry, not Sir Henry, Henry Jones Senior in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. It is very much a beloved film to me. It is a beloved film to many others. Um, surely everyone's seen it, but if not, he plays Indiana Jones' dad. He goes missing while looking for the Holy Grail. Indiana Jones goes looking for him. The problem is the Nazis are looking for him too. I mean, so much fun, so much adventure in this film. Um, Some people may not know Connery was only 12 years older than Harrison Ford. But the way he acts sells it, and I think, well, actually, what really works, I think, is the costume design. I think we've got such an iconic image of Indiana Jones with fedora and bullwhip. Jones Sr. had this funny little tweed bucket hat. Uh, that you would expect to wear if you go going fishing rather than fighting Nazis, and they had a briefcase and an umbrella that he always had with him, and just the way that the, he acted, the way he presented himself, he almost he was he went against type, where he maybe didn't kind of try and be this powerful driving force. He was kind of bumbling and calling Junior, and just making Indiana Jones, who was such an amazing character just making them feel like a child and just the interplay between the two was fantastic so it was still very charming um i think he was a bit more ridiculous though you know and it wasn't wasn't in kind of the playful way that you'll get in in some of the more films again well not ridiculous but you know you'd you'd laugh at it would you'd laugh at scenarios the classic one being the rotating fireplace if you remember that just again great great set pieces great dialogue And I just think here you've basically got James Bond in dad mode and Indiana Jones, two of the biggest characters in movie history. So that, for me, is why that is my number one.
0: It's a a great pick. It's my favourite of the three Indiana Jones movies that they've made. They've only made three, and you can see why they stopped at perfection. Um, It's just, yeah, it's it's a great role, I think, you know, it takes a special kind of actor to be able to, to bounce off Harrison Ford because he's a cantankerous little bugger himself. Um, but, they, you know, they clearly work really well together. So, no, it's a great pick.
1: So, what's your number okay. one then, James? It's got to be a good one.
0: Yeah, so in first place on my list is Connery's role as John Mason in The Rock. Controversial, I know. <laughs> this is my favourite role. It's my number one because it's my favourite Connery film by a long way. I think it's a, he's awesome in it. At the end of the day, Jeff, this isn't everyone's top three. This is my top three. <laughs> and this is number one on my list. Nick Cage, uh, you know, it, you know, I mean, Nick Cage is in this film at his ultimate best in the 1996 film, The Rock. Uh, you know, right, prime Nick Cage. And anyone who can outact prime Nick Cage <laughs> must be doing a great job. Connery steals every scene. And they're in most of the film together. It has quotes... I'm only boring your Humvee, is my favourite. Um, it has action as he kicks numerous rogue marines' ass throughout the film um, as they storm Alcatraz. And he has a plethora of more prolific, younger actors trailing in his wake: Cage, Ed Harris, David Morse, John C. McGinley, Michael Bean, that dude who plays the Candyman. You know, they're all way behind Sir Sean in this film. I love it. And as I say, it's my top three. Not everybody else's. It's I just... Yeah, I think it's I think it's peak Connery outacting peak Cage. Go for it.
1: I mean, I'd argue it is a great film. Um, it's it's a shame that when you, you search for The Rock on IMDb, Dwayne Johnson comes up first now, because The Rock, the movie, is a lot of fun. It's actually I think Michael Bay's best film, and it oh, is a very good yeah. film. And I'm not a big fan of Michael Bay, as I've mentioned, but he really pulls out the bag here Um, I completely agree pairing him with Nick Cage who has got that crazy energy and particularly you know he's, he's coming off I think face-off was the year before uh, so oh, we yeah. know we you know we can really take a script and just run away from it in a good way yeah. Yeah. so yeah and it's great and I think just the introduction to him is you know he's he's locked in a, in a, in a cell he's got this long hair and then they're like, "We need you." There's hostages on Alcatraz. And He's like, "The, the Rocks became a tourist destination," and and yeah, and he just the way he says it, "The Rock," yeah. is is just amazing. So yeah, and phenomenally good '90s film, definitely. Oh, and
0: if we were doing my top three '90s films, it it wins. It's for me, it's better than Gladiator. It's better than. Do you know what? We should do my top three '90s films. I talk about The Rocks so a I love The Rock. <laughs> Um, I guess, you know, there's probably a lot of honourable mentions, Jeff. I haven't prepped you for this. Do you want to throw out one by one, anything that could have been on your list?
1: Um, I'm going to, well, Rising Sun is one that comes to mind, which not a lot of people probably saw. Um, I mean, it was back in Night Night 3 with Wesley Snipes. Um, yeah. And it's by, based on a uh, Michael Crichton novel who did Jurassic Park. So that's how I came to it. Um, but that was one that I always really enjoyed.
0: What about yeah. what, another one for How'd you? you? Yeah, so you know, I've got a I've got a long list here. Entrapment, I love Entrapment. He's he's good as an yeah. old guy perving on Catherine Zeta-Jones, but he's really you know probably <laughs> was, probably wasn't a stretch for him. But um, it's an awesome film. I love Entrapment. I, I could keep going. Uh, yeah. The Longest Day, which he was in pre Bond. I love The Longest Day. Long uh, the wind, Day. the wind and the lion. My dad wat- made me watch Growing Up and loved Great Train Robbery. Uh, yeah. Outland. Uh, I know you're a huge Highlander fan.
1: Yeah, that's very much one of these. Um, it, uh, they call it, well, it's franchised now, isn't it? But uh, yeah, yeah he, he's that's one of these films that have gone into it. Um, I think it was interesting that after he did Bond, he did a Hitchcock. Yeah, um He did Marnie, which, I mean, it's okay. as a Hitchcock film. He's just, he's a very typical Hitchcock lead for it, but he's very pretty, I think, in the role of it but um, you know it just it says a lot that Hitchcock will well he's uh, well, it's, it doesn't it's not a great stretch huh oh, you've done really well spawned you want to be in my film but it's Hitchcock you yeah. can do that
0: yeah true yeah it's yeah it's not my favorite Hitchcock movie but you know it's yeah it's a, g- a good performance by Sean as well I love the man who would be king and obviously from the man who would be king he became best friends with Michael, uh, Michael Cain uh, I believe they lived just around the corner from each other Oh, they, had a, they have houses in Nassau right around the corner from each other. Um, great movie. You know, The Name of the Rose, really good movie. And we haven't mentioned, you know, Mar- Robin and Marion or, you know, his cameo in Robin Hood. Uh, yeah, just the list goes on and on. You know, yeah. thank you Sir Sean. You will be hugely missed. Great lists. Definitely. So um, I guess, you know, if you want to get in touch with us and you want to say what your favourite Sean Connery movie is, um, or if you'd like to suggest our next top three, please do get in touch with us on our social media. Once again, it's at Tell Me What's Good UK on Instagram, at Tell Me What's G on Twitter, because they don't give you enough characters. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next one, Jeff. I really enjoy making these lists. They make me think about and watch films and TV shows that I haven't seen in ages. Yeah, no, definitely. So, Jeff... Something that I know was so good to watch over the past couple of weeks. I know it's made it onto both of our recommendations this week. So we've got to shed, tell you what's good, um, which I'm excited by for the first time. <laughs> but, the, you know, one thing that we have both really wanted to recommend was The Trial of the Chicago 7. For anybody who doesn't know, you, you know, it's a 2020 American historical legal drama. I know I haven't sold it to you just yet. Uh, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Should have sold it to you a bit more with that. The film follows the Chicago 7, a group of anti-Vietnam war protesters charged with conspiracy and crossing state lines with the intention of inciting riots in the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Clearly very prescient to make this film for 2020 ahead of what has been the most chaotic of years. I loved this film Jeff. Uh, it stu- I stuck it straight in as a nine on my IMDB ratings list, mm-hmm. which I know is you know as some people might say it's generous I just adored it. <laughs> um, the first thing that struck me is uh, the, uh, setting it apart from, from you know kind of the real eights and sevens of my list was the dialogue. Sorkin is known for writing fast talking well-written pieces. Just see the West Wing for evidence of that. Yeah. but there, this I, just for me is something else. It's a two hour film that feels like it goes by in thirty minutes or less. You blink and you miss it. Not much happens, and I would say we're in a courtroom for seventy five percent of the film, but wow, like you just you can't take your eyes off the T V and you certainly don't look at your phone for fear of missing some crucial scene in the plot. I don't want to spoil the story, and I hope you're not going to either uh, for those who haven't seen it and don't know the history. But basically, I'll, I'll sum it up. You know, it charts the seven along with their inverted commas accomplice, Bobby Seal, who was head of the Black Panthers at the time. As they fight, the charges brought to them by the attorney general, the new attorney general, and fight for not only their freedom, but for the freedom of speech and thought as well. This snappy, witty script some incredible performances from the impressive captain show but for me i was most impressed by sasha baron cohen's performance as hippie come yippie come activist abby hoffman Mm. spending the vast majority of the film ridiculing the whole process his scene as he takes the stand just blew me away i was so impressed as he like he was so naturally able to mix humor with sincerity gravity it was just an unmissable scene and an unmissable performance uh, yeah what did you what about
1: you jeff what what do you like about it so much i mean i would completely agree on sasha baron cohen i think the the work he did with uh jeremy strong who plays jerry and they kind of like this double act yeah were just very aloof and like you say making making light of the situation um really just gives it a, a a point of balance within the seven you know it, it makes that they, they butt heads throughout which makes it uh, an internal drama as opposed to just the courtroom drama but yeah that last bit when well when he takes the stand the texture that i brought there i just thought this is easily the best thing he's ever done so that was really strong for me but i mean it's sorkin he 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 gets good people and he gives them very strong dialogue to say i thought joseph gordon lovett as uh, schultz the prosecutor great uh, mark rylance always great but here is the defense attorney but i mean yeah what a great role eddie redmayne as well i mean you just need to mention that any of these guys are in a film and you think well there's something to watch here so put them all together put them in the powder keg of 1960s courtroom with all the drama that's going on it's it is it's magnetic to watch and then like you say it resonates i mean i think it's taken something like 13 years to actually get to the screen but the longer it's taken the more relevant it's became even though it's it's stretched from then yeah i think just things like the abusive power the flagrant ignorance of people's rights and obviously police brutality as you say it's all a bit close to home still which is crazy given it it was back in 68 this happened
0: yeah, and I think you know. Obvi- obviously, it's really disappointing that it's still relevant now, but it is. And mm. um, to go back to your, to go back to your your actors in that, I think another shout out from the Trial of Chicago Seven. I think it needs to go to Frank Langella as Judge Julius Hoffman, the real mm. life judge from the initial trial. Uh, what I initially want to point out is that Langella is eighty-two years old. How is he? That is very old indeed. Uh, he's no offence. Looking he's like,
1: great. He's looking yeah. great.
0: Honestly, mate, I think he could take me still. So he's a big guy. So <laughs> uh, no offence, meant that. Uh, we probably first saw Frank as Skeletor in uh, 1987. I know he's around a long time before that, but you know, people like you and me, Jeff, I think that's where we saw him. Though my fondest memory of, uh, of, Fra- of Frank Mangella is as the pirate dog in, uh, in the commercially hated by everyone but me and my dad Cutthroat Island from 1995. We still quote that movie to this day in my house. Yes, uh, this is one of the best performances to date. Uh, it's one of his best performances to date as, like, the cantankerous conservative judge who clearly heavily favoured the prosecution throughout, much to the disbelief of the defence team. And I think Mark Rylance spends two hours just being disbelieving of the situation yeah. as the defence he,
1: he has got a great disbelieving he's, face.
0: He's fantastic. <laughs> um so you know the judge he gets angry and outraged uh, with like the with the best of them and again matches the performance of much younger, more celebrated actors like Rylands, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne. I think I think the judge acts them all. Um, it's a fantastic performance and a one that remained with me the longest. I've thought about his performance the longest out of everybody's. I really hope I really hope he gets looked at by the Academy for best mm-hmm. supporting you know role or nomination. I really think he deserves that when he's only had one Academy nomination in his entire career for Frost Nixon. And I, I yeah. think, I, I think he really deserves it for this. Um, yeah. Anything else to add on *Trial of Chicago 7, Jeff?
1: Yeah, no, i, I real good point uh, but again about Frank there. Um, I think Oscar season is going to be interesting because there is clearly a lack of films, but uh, it doesn't mean that there aren't any films of quality and this is definitely one of the strongest films of the year.
0: Totally agree. Um, You know, seriously, Listeners, if you haven't seen the trial of the Chicago 7 um, yet, then A, where have you been? And B, what are your plans for tonight? Get it watched. Um, it's on Netflix, you know, so most of you have it. It'll be free to have because you pay already. Just watch it. You won't you won't regret it. You'll you'll probably insta us and say thank you. Um, it tells a vital story that it's and it is a vital story in this day and age uh, that for my generation in the UK, like the story is pretty much unknown, you know, I was talking to my dad, my dad said he remembered it happening, but it's just crazy seeing like inside that courtroom. As some, You know, my dad's a lawyer and, you know, and was just about a trait to be a lawyer in, in 68, 70. So it just, and he found it really interesting as well, I think, but for me, I knew very little about that story. And I, I class myself as quite woke. Uh, <laughs> so it's just, oh it's just <laughs> but it's just as relevant today, unfortunately. And, um, and it's a fantastic watch. Just get it.
1: Get it watched. Cool.
0: So yeah, you got something else to recommend. would you say it's along the same lines as Trial of the Chicago Seven
1: Jeff? Yeah, I mean I think it's got the same political impact um (laughs) as as the trial of Chicago Seven. Same tone? tone? Pretty much. I mean it's it's identical. I'm almost embarrassed to be recommending it. But my other recommendation this week is Borat 2. Uh, also known as Borat, Borish, Borat, subsequent movie film delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan. <laughs> It's got to be a contender for the longest sequel title, actually. Um, New new Comedy by Sacha Baron Cohen. I'm sure a lot of people are are familiar with Barat. It is a sequel to his 2006 hit film. I cannot think of anything I laughed at harder in a cinema than the first film. So really excited to see this one. Um, A lot of laugh out loud moments. As Baron Cohen tries to gift his daughter to the American vice president, Mike Pence. It is slightly different to the first film for two reasons. One is his daughter, uh, Tutar, who's played by Maria Bakalova, who's a Bulgarian actor. Uh, this is one of our first like, breakout roles, I guess, who does an amazing job in committing to uh, being Borat's daughter. If you're going to be in a Borat film, you need to commit because... As with all his comedy, he puts himself and those around him in very difficult circumstances. Either emotionally and morally difficult to watch or just this man, this is going to kill him. These people are going to get him because he loves going to America and he loves finding angry people with guns and this is no different. So she really gets into it on that respect. Um, It is isn't probably not as good as Borat and I think two reasons. One, he's he's a bit too famous. You actually see in the film, everyone kind of recognizes him and it means that he's got to go and wear different disguises. I think it's a shame because, you know, it's hit the interaction of that character, which I really enjoy. I think the other reason it doesn't maybe hit as much is because the world's just gone a little bit more mental. If you look at what we've had in in society, again, over the last few years and the ridiculousness of it, I think as well, 2006, we didn't really have social media. I think maybe YouTube had been around for a couple of years, but I mean, Twitter was maybe a year old and everyone was still polite. Facebook hadn't really started going. So we didn't really have this window into the ridiculousness or the the, the diversity of opinion in the world. So maybe that takes away a little bit, but, um, you know, he still puts himself out there. He still manages to get Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, to do an interview that you end up watching through your fingers at times. So still a very, very funny film um, and definitely one that I would recommend. And that's streaming now on Amazon Prime. And it's a very good way to spend 95 minutes.
0: Yeah, it is. And, you know, whilst I wasn't as enamoured with Borat 2 as you were, um, and one, uh, like, one thing I've got to admit is that I've never seen Borat 1. I I don't know why because uh, I love that kind of comedy and I love Sasha Baron Cohen never seen it I might go back and watch it now um but yeah I've got three things to say about Borat 2 and well four things really the first is that there are laugh out loud moments but there are as many moments where you want to hide underneath your sofa <laughs> as there are laugh out loud moments um yeah the second thing is it blows my mind that it that half of this film was made during like covid times and like yeah. how how have America responded to COVID, if Borat and his daughter can make a film, interviewing people. When when I didn't see my family for six months, it blows my mind. Uh, My third thing is, the scene in the synagogue, which could be horrendous, is the most heartwarming and hilarious scene of the entire film. Yeah. um, As you know Borat, who is infamously an anti-Semite because he's from Kazakhstan, mm-hmm. goes undercover as as a as, as steri- what he sees as a stereotypical Jewish person. It's just an incredible scene and really heartwarming. And the last one, the last point is: there's a scene where we see him uh, in the house with two conserv- like conservative redneck kind of guys. Yeah. He lived in character as Borat for six days with them, Yeah, it's for crazy. six days without breaking character. Like that is a man who is dedicated to the message he wants to bring and dedicated to his craft and whether it's for everybody or it's not it I just think it needs to be just needs to be praised by everybody the the bravery of him as a as an actor and as a filmmaker and it's an awesome movie. It is hilarious at times and I would recommend it too.
1: So James, what have you got to recommend this week as well?
0: Yeah so my second recommendation this week is one that might be a bit more niche. Uh, as I'm recommending the awesome game, Ghost of Tsushima, available currently only on PlayStation. I'm trying to say that in a, in, a, in the correct, I'm trying to pronounce that correctly because, you know, you want to get things like that right. So Ghost of Tsushima is an action slash adventure open world game set in 13th century feudal Japan, which, you know, it tick, tick, tick for me already. It had me hooked at that. Um, you play the last remaining samurai, no relative of Tom Cruise, um, tasked with rebelling against the invading Mongol horde led by a guy called Khotun Khan, who was grandson of Genghis and brother of the rune and Kublai Khan at the time. And he led the very real 1274 invasion of Japan by the Mongols. So this is based on true story uh, that landed first in the understate of Tsushima as they began their assault. So it's based on real life events, uh, although obviously fictionalized. Uh, basically, Jeff, the story goes that you're aiming to free your captured uncle, the ruling lord of the island, from the Mongols as you learn and develop the skills and craft of the samurai along the way. However, you soon discover that you can't defeat an entire Mongol army, so one honorable, as one as honorable samurai, and must renege on the code of the samurai and like strike from the darkness, kind of the stealth element. That's where the stealth element comes in the game, um, just to survive and strike fear into the enemy. It's this clash of cultures that underpins the main story arc of the game. I'm lo- Jeff, I'm loving this game, basically, because it's some of the best sword combat I, as a fairly casual gamer, have ever played. It's better than The Witcher 3, I'm afraid, CD Projekt Red. Oh. Uh, yeah, you have four, basically, you have four main, like, sword fighting stances that, you're effect- that are effective against different enemies. And the game releases these to you slowly, kind of drip feeds you the understanding of how of swordcraft as a samurai. And so suddenly you find yourself with almost samurai-like reflexes in battle by the end of the first act. You're like, right, he's looking like him, so I need to fit into this stance, and you switch instantaneously. It's a really clever combat mechanic that works incredibly well, um, but is easy to pick up for somebody who's not into, like, hardcore gaming and and, yeah. and sword fighting games and things like that. Also, the game marries an excellent storyline with some of the most beautiful world-building in any game I've ever played ever, um, up there with the best of the PlayStation 4 generation. The landscape is beautiful. You can go anywhere. You can see usually on your trusty horse. Uh, the little features of this game make it really pop. You know, for ex- as an example, as you ride through a tall field of pampas grass, your character Jin will lean down off his horse and like run his hand through the grass, gladiator style, as you're riding through it. Um, there's very little music in the game, um, and what there is kind of like kicks in the important moments, like fights and you know when you're investigating a shrine or something like that. Uh, it Means like. Most of the time, you just left to listen to the sounds of the world around you. It's incredibly well made like that. It's the only action game I've ever played that rewards your character with a health boost. If Listen, just check this out. If you take time out, out of your fighting to sit by a lake, look at the scenery, reflect on your life, and write a haiku. Uh, you actually write haiku poetry. And each one rewards you with a pretty sweet headband to wear as well. Also, you get rewarded for, like, getting naked and taking a bath in some hot springs and thinking about what you've done in the game so far. I even had a side quest to prevent the island sake distillery from being burned down by the Mongols, as it would hurt the island's hurt the island's population spirit too much if it burned down. Honestly, I love these little touches, and there are many more besides. It's really telling that Japanese game developers are furious that an American game developer has made this game. They're furious because they've done it such justice. There's a mode that you can select called Kurosawa mode, where American- Channels like the movies of Akira Kurosawa, like the Seven Samurai, mm, yeah, things like uh, so you can play in like black and white with music and oh, like that. Wow. You can't do it for ages, but it looks incredible when you do yeah. that. Uh, if you're keen to get into a new game, I couldn't recommend Ghost of Tsushima highly enough. Not only are they offering a free upgrade, great to play PlayStation 5 uh, once it's released, um, but the studio Sucker Punch have just released a massive online mode that is totally free. It offers about four hours of like replayable co-op campaign mode gameplay, which is really well written, alongside four really challenging wave-based survival maps and weekly nightmare scenario stories in a fantastic top-tier, highly challenging raid. And that's all free. Like You'd pay 20 quid for an add-on like that normally. Yeah. Um, it's incredible content that's topping up a fantastic game. And if The Last of Us 2 hadn't come out this year, it would definitely be Game of the Year, hands down, I'm certain. I've loved it. I've put in, like, 25 hours already during half-term and things like that. Um, if you've played Ghost of Tsushima, or if you're interested and want to know more, you don't know whether it's for you or not, but you just like a bit more detail, you know, drop please drop us a DM or an email. I'll happily answer all your questions. I might even team up with you for a raid. Uh, it's just I want more people to play this game because it's it's just, it's, like, engrossing. So, yeah, that's, that's what I think is good. A
1: very passionate recommendation james um sounds great i haven't played it but all all the feedback and everyone i've talked to says it's exquisite um both from you know the, how it looks the gameplay the uh, the music behind it the the bad guy is apparently very good the villain mm. in it um yeah. I, how long i think it's quite a long campaign as well
0: yes it's about from what i'm told you can do the straight campaign in about 30 hours which is pretty short for an open world game um like i said i've put 25 in and i'm probably about 40 percent of the way through because i like i'm a yep. person who likes investigating like unlocking the whole island and doing all the doing all the different um side quests and things like that um i'm a bit of a completionist in that regard mm-hmm. it's just yeah i'm, I'm quite passionate about it, actually I, I i sat down i had a month until the ps5 came out i only had fifa to play and i thought i need something else mm-hmm. and uh yeah. so i took a punt on this and it's just yeah it's awesome big fun Cool. So yeah get, get it you'll have to come around once lockdown's over Jeff uh, you'll have to come around and have a look at it because it's an incredible watch. But yeah that's uh, that's what's good from for us over the last fortnight. There's you know there's loads of things it's I find it really hard to slim it down to two recommendations because I know you said we've had a we've had a dearth of excellent movies um, Jeff over the 2020 and I would agree with you. Um but there's some I think in all these movies that are pretty pretty run of the mill or pretty you know good but not great there's lots of excellent performances. I think there's some really good TV going on at the minute. I'm really, really interested in this undoing that's on, on Sky Sky Atlantic. I think I'm interested in the undoing with Hugh Grant and uh, and Nicole Kidman. That looks really good. So if you've watched anything like that, or if you guys have got any recommendations, anything that you're really enjoying, get in touch with them on the social. I'm not going to say it all again because it does my head in, but um, it'll, be in the, it'll be in the profile. But that's what's good from us this week. So on to uh, onto our news section. and. There is a behemoth on the horizon. It's like that bit in Independence Day when the alien spacecraft is going over New York and the shadows like not, not New York, Washington and the shadows creeping, creeping over the city. It, of course, is the release of the PlayStation 5. By the time of our next episode, not this one, but our next one, the PlayStation 5 will have been released both in the US and also a week later in the UK. Obviously, the release date in the UK is the 19th of November. If you haven't pre-ordered one, guys, you are in, in bother. I think you might struggle to get one before Christmas. You and I, Jeff, have both pre-ordered ours, haven't we? Because we yeah. are man-children.
1: <laughs> we have. What? I, I ordered mine in the Depths of Night. Um when the game store opened very quietly.
0: Yeah, I, I I missed I missed that the pre-orders have gone live and I think they went live at midnight on Thursday morning, Wednesday night. And then I, I pre-ordered and managed to find mine on Argos at 601 on Friday morning <laughs> uh, when the Argos pre-orders went live. It's the first it's the first time I've bought anything from Argos in about 20 years. But thank you, Argos, really appreciate it. Please still deliver my PlayStation 5. Um Jeff. You, what games are
1: you looking forward to on release uh, a lot that i've got pre-ordered are recognizable franchises i think there's there's definitely an opportunity for some new names to come here i, I kind of want them to get out through the gate first and let people actually see where they are though so i've got the likes of uh, assassin's creed valhalla lined up spider-man miles morales um well, so we've got uh, FIFA, which is on an upgrade, which is which is fine. Uh, and then uh, Cyberpunk 2077, which we've talked about in the past and uh, sadly got moved from launch day. So I'd be interested to know what you, you have got as your launch day game now. Um, but, yeah, there's a few good names there.
0: Yeah, when I saw, when um, when Cyberpunk 2077 got pushed back to December 10th, or December 11th, December 10th, I think, mm-hmm. um, I, I, yeah, a I cried. I didn't, but I was very upset. But it's okay because you know I go on Christmas holidays from December the 11th, so I'm buzzing about that. Um, so I pre-ordered Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which I was always going to get. I think I've I've owned every Assassin's Creed game. So uh, yeah, literally every single one. Um, I'm a, you know I haven't finished them all. Uh, mm-hmm. So they've got a bit longer. If you haven't played one in a while, they are a different beast to what they were, you know, in the days of Ezio Auditore. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited for Valhalla. I love, Vi- you know, I love anything Vikings. You know, we could do my top three Vikings things and I would have a good list. You know, I love the last kingdom on Netflix and BBC. I love Vikings on the history channel. Um, so I'm buzzing about Assassin's Creed Valhalla. You, you kind of read my list out Jeff, because the more I see trailers for Spider-Man, Miles Morales, I think I need to get that game. Mm. Um, it looks incredible. Uh, yeah, I just watched. I watched. I think it was IGN's review of the PlayStation Five, mm-hmm. and the guy who was reviewing it said that because uh, they've obviously got theirs already, because they're real journalists instead of just guys who are sat in their room. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that from turn it from his PS Five being off to booting up a game, loading up his save, and swinging in New York as Miles Morales, forty four seconds. It's pretty which is good. Incredible. So I think one thing that I'm really excited about, uh, like features of the PlayStation 5, that SSD, so solid state drive, um, is the load times of that. You know, it's going to be it's going to be instantaneous. The idea of waiting a game to load a save or load a new from a cutscene to cutscene, watching a loading but a progress bar go across the bottom of your screen, is just not going to happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is where the PS5 blows the Xbox Series One, uh, X and S, like out of the water. I think really excited for that load times. Uh, you know, to be web-slinging in less than a minute is incredible. Um, I'm also really excited about the du- DualSense controller. So that's yeah. the PlayStation new controller that's getting getting rave reviews from people that have people that have held it. it. Has this thing called haptic feedback, mm. which the word ha- the word haptic I only learned when I read Ready Player One, which yeah. is obviously set well in the future. Um, but the idea that the different parts of the controller will give you feedback depending on whether you. You're firing a weapon, or whether your gun jams, or whether you take damage, um, you know, adaptive triggers so that they can block and stuff like that. It, I'm really excited. People are like raving. It's like revolutionizing, uh, you know, controllers of games controllers. So I'm excited about that. Anything else? Pop it up for you. Yeah,
1: hardware. Hardware is. uh, is, It'll be interesting to see what they bring out. They've brought a media remote for the first time for. I think they may have had one for PS3, uh, but they haven't for PS4. And uh, they've got there's a few buttons on the bottom. I think you can go straight to Netflix, straight to YouTube. So that's quite interesting. Where I guess they're trying to position it more as a a multi-discipline console as opposed to just gaming, which I think is important. But the, yeah, the the list of games that are out there, there's a lot of recognizable brands, I think Call of Duty, Crash Bandicooter, a couple of other ones that they've already lined up, which will be uh, out soon, if not uh, on launch day. And I just think there's a lot there's a lot to attract people there just from that list. And if they can match that with, as you say, better loading times, enhanced graphics, greater hardware, I think we're in for a very good gaming experience this Christmas. Or for the 11th true. of December, if you're a teacher
0: like James. Yeah, yeah. Uh, weekends exist. Weekends exist. Uh, you know, if we look a bit further than 2020 or holiday 2020, I'm excited in 2021. I'm a huge Horizon for, uh, Horizon fan, Horizon um, whatever it was called, something Dawn, uh, Frozen Dawn, maybe it might have been called, I can't remember. It was you an incredible right. game. <laughs> yeah, it looked, looked fantastic. So there's a sequel for Bin West coming out in 2021 that looks even better. I would say uh, Hitman three. I've loved all the Hitman games. Again, I've owned all the Hitman games. Mm. So I'm excited. And there's been more than three. Um, yeah. It's just three since they started numbering them. Uh, Deathloop looks really good. I don't know an awful lot about that, but it looks really good. I think Hogwarts legacy is going to bring gaming to a, an entire second new group of people. And um, mm. I'm hoping, hoping my wife gets involved with Hogwarts legacy. Cause it looks like the Harry Potter game that Harry Potter fans have always wanted, but never really had. Um, And at some point they've got to release at some point, Rockstar have gotta release GTA six. Like I I've owned GTA five on the PS3, the PS4, and then it's a free upgrade to PS five. Like at some point they've got to bring out a GTA six, and I'm really excited for that when it comes out. So yeah, lots to be excited about with the PlayStation Five. I literally I it's seven years, seven it's not eight years since uh, the PS four came out, so I'm buzzing. Yeah, so other than the PlayStation 5, I guess we've got a few other things on the horizon. It's been a fairly quiet week for media news, hasn't it, Jeff, other than the PlayStation 5, I guess, with the US election and with lockdown and things like that. But a couple of things have cropped up.
1: Yeah, one for me was a new trailer that was out for a Netflix documentary called Trial 4. This is about a black man charged with murdering a white police officer back in the 90s, and this is his fourth trial, thus the name, quite simply trying to prove his innocence uh, and saying that is due to police corruption. Uh, for, I think this gave me uh, feelings of uh, When They See Us, which came out last year on Netflix, which yeah. is, which was is really good and powerful. Uh, also Making a Murderer from a few years ago, if you remember cool. the, the righteous indignation of seeing someone who the viewer is led to believe is innocent and, and then the the, the craziness of, of a court system that just isn't um, treating them fairly. So really it's a continuation of Netflix's really strong output of true crime. I think they've done a lot with drama and documentaries in recent years that, that has made it um, one of these things to watch as opposed to something that's Freeview Channel 94 or whatever um and so yeah that's coming out well it's out now in fact and that's streaming on netflix
0: yeah uh, you know i'm not the biggest true crime fan i struggled with making a murderer um in fact i gave up after a couple of episodes i know everybody else i know loved it it's this true crime thing i've always struggled with and and then and i kind of struggled with a bit of reality documentary like that and then obviously tiger king came along and revolutionized my life (laughs) So and it's certainly, you know, subject matter that I'm in, interested in. I'm interested in, you know, this guy being in prison 22 years and then he, was, then he was freed on bail in 2015. I think that's a really interesting story. I'm assuming, if Netflix are helping to make a documentary, I'm assuming there's overwhelming evidence that he's, that he's innocent. I'm interested to see. It's very relevant today. So, yeah, it looks good. I know you're also interested in the flight attendant, Jeff.
1: Yeah, this one. So it hasn't got a UK release date yet, but it looks pretty strong. So, surely it won't be far away. Uh, but this is coming out this month on HBO Max in America. Um, the reason I think it'll do well, both because it looks interesting, but it stars Kelly Cuoco, who is, of course, Penny from Big Bang Theory. She is a flight attendant. She wakes up next to a dead man. She can't remember why she's woken up next to a dead man and then cracks on being a flight attendant. It's a, a dark comedy. It is a limited series. It's only eight episodes, and we've we've spoken before how much we love limited series because it's long to watch it looks like there's going to be a lot of fun with this one so really keen for this one to jump if not fly across the atlantic
0: nice Uh, yeah it's from the career creators of you as well and i know you season one took everybody on netflix by storm bird box Mm. style a couple of years ago i know i really liked season one of you and then i gave up in the middle of season two so it being a limited series, I don't know whether that means that they won't make a second series or not. But it looks, it looks like it's got the best bits of you—that dark comedy and the kind of unbelievable nature. Um, you know, she's a, she's a strong comedic actress as well. I think, I think she's a bit under, underrated for her work on Big Bang. But yeah, I'm excited for that. It's, with it being on HBO Max, I assume Sky Atlantic would be its natural landing point.
1: It seems to be very much where it goes. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I like you too without wishing to sound like I'm flirting. Thanks, Jeff. Um And that, uh, that's coming back on it for season three, actually,
0: yeah.
1: um, which they're going to start filming that one. Three. I have not. I have not yet, but uh, I like you, so I will continue yeah. looking at you.
0: Sounds good. Okay. You've thought that through. <laughs> so yeah, that's the flight attendant, uh, released on 26th of November in America, so hopefully arriving on our screens a few weeks later. It does look good. Watch the trailer, guys. Uh, one thing from me: It was announced probably ten days ago now uh, that Netflix are developing an Assassin's Creed live-action TV show, as previously discussed within the last ten minutes. Where I'm we a massive Assassin's Creed fan. Unfortunately, the film was shocking—like shocking. You thought know, Assassin's Creed great storyline, like Michael Fassbender. Like we all love the Fassbender. You love, love the Fassbender. We love the Fassbender. It's a terrible film, like really poor. Um, <laughs> but. Netflix have a history of doing this really well. See The Witcher you know what I I really hope, there's very little known about it so far other than making a live action TV show. I think Assassin's Creed, for anybody who doesn't know, it's set across multiple time periods, Um, each game changes time periods so we've had uh, like uh, Renaissance Italy we've had uh, Jerusalem and kind of like Middle Ages or late Middle Ages, we've had Pirates uh, in the Caribbean, not of the Caribbean in the Caribbean, we've got (laughs) We've had uh, ancient Egypt, we've had ancient Greece, we've had Victorian London, we've had revolutionary France, we've had, uh, and now we're getting Vikings. I think this setting itself up perfectly for like an anthology series, you have the same actors playing different roles in different time period in every different season. If if I was a film, if I was a TV producer and I think I should be, that's what my degree was. Um, that's what I would do, you know, kind of American horror story style, same cast, but playing different roles, and I think that would be a really interesting approach. So, if you listen to this Netflix, which I'm sure you are, um, you know, give it a thought. But it's exciting because you know, The Witcher was so great, and the second season of that must be coming out at some point. I don't think has a release date, but you know, we loved it.
1: Yeah, I think they're uh, the film. I think filming has been cut short, but they were they're were up in the uh, where we are in the northeast of England yeah, filming. Yeah. So uh, you know, that was exciting to be within 100 meters of. Henry, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. The, the film was poor. I, well, it brings to mind the, uh, the Watchmen, I think. Not that the film was anywhere as poor as Assassin's Creed, but the ability to tell more of that story through a TV show uh, really enhanced the, the on-screen story there uh, with the series that came out uh, last year. So yeah, hopefully they do something the same. And I would love to see... That idea what you've just said there of the same actors in different roles I think that would be something that we haven't seen for a while or at least not so overtly and uh, yeah there's potentially a lot to be done with it so keen to see where that one goes
0: yeah I should find somebody to tweet about that I need to get some credit for that I think it's a the more I think about it, the more I think that's my back so um unless Jeff you've got anything left to add
1: I think that'll do me, James. I'm going to go and warm my thumbs up, ready for my new DualShock arriving in a matter of days.
0: Yeah. Um, So from me, James Clark, and from him, Jeff Ball. Goodbye. It's goodbye and good luck.